Well, I'm sure grateful to be here with you this morning talking about setting our minds on Christ and seeking him because we know when the Lord becomes our life, we look different to the world, don't we? Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you so much for these women who are here this morning seeking you and setting their minds on you. They are doing the exact thing that you've commanded them to do in scripture. And we thank you and we praise you. We ask you, Lord God, that my words would be accurate, that they would deliver who you are this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we heard Gala beautifully illustrate that once we have received Jesus Christ as Lord, we are to walk in him, live in him, and trust in him. She gave us practical ways of thinking, didn't she, last week? That believers will grow in Christ, believers have resources in Christ, And believers don't need to add anything. Christ is supremely sufficient. So to begin with this morning, I have a little audience participation. I need you to finish this sentence for me. You can do anything you set your minds to. Exactly. Well, this quote is often given as an encouragement, right? Like, just do it. Something like, work hard enough. Focus long enough, roll up your sleeves, dig in, it's yours, baby, right? And it's from scripture too, right? No, it's from Ben Franklin as our guy. Now, Ben Franklin was a great thinker, but he was not a great thinker about God, and we need to keep that in mind for sure. So another example I have of what the world thinks about setting our minds is from the Huffington Post. It's uh, 10 steps to conquering anything you set your mind to. So I'm just going to highlight a few. Number one, define what you'd like to achieve and how badly you'd like to achieve it. Number two, determine, do you want it badly enough? Number three, write down a to-do list and check it off one by one. Oh, I like that one. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Okay. Number four, (laughs) define the reward, what you will get once the goal is achieved. And I'm going to read on under that one. Remember that the real incentive behind all tangible assets is actually feelings and emotions. You want to feel good. You want to experience the positive emotion, the high, the euphoria, the sense of achievement and fulfillment. Well, I think Paul is saying something a little bit different, isn't he, in his his words right now. So let's read. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Well, these tiny four little verses are really the pivotal transitional verses for all the book of the rest of the book of Colossians. Until now, we focused on who Christ is and what he has done. And I bet you noticed when you were filling out that indicative and imperative sheet. Now, you are filling out those indicative and imperative sheets, right? And so here we are, week after week, indicative, 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 and bam! This week, it was imperatives, right? These are some commands that we have set before us, right? So keep filling those out. I just want to encourage you, anytime you open the Bible, you can use that sheet and you can do a Bible study on your own right then by using those sheets. So at this point in the text, Paul wants us to put feet on what we've learned and to start walking with our knowledge. 
So now we're going to get to our outline for this morning. I know we're only studying four verses, but we have five points. The first is being raised with Christ. The second is seeking the Lord. The third is setting your mind on him. The fourth is Christ becoming your life. And the fifth is being with him in glory. So let's begin with our first section, being raised with Christ. The statement, if then you've been raised with Christ, is a qualifying statement for the rest of the book. In order to accomplish living out our faith, we must have the power of God dwelling in us. In chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, Paul tells us what does it mean if you've been raised with Christ. It says, And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of our debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. One theologian defines being raised with Christ as to have taken on his spiritual status of no longer being spiritually dead. Before, we were dead spiritually. Every sin, every transgression against God was counted against us. But if we've been raised with Christ, that means we have accepted his gift of taking on our sin so that when God looks at us, he sees Christ's covering over us. Once we are raised with Christ, there's something different about us, right? The Holy Spirit is dwelling within us. We have the power then to live out the Christian life, to live like God wants us to. Paul talks about this power in Colossians 1.29. He says he has the energy of God working within him. And in Romans 8.10 and 11, he says, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also raise our mortal bodies through the spirit that dwells within us. So let's just think about that. The same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us now. Is that a shocker to anyone that that power is dwelling within us? So if it's enough power to raise Jesus from the dead, is it enough power to ask us to behave differently? Can we behave differently day by day to our husbands and our kids because of who Christ is and what he has done and who he's dwelling inside right now? Yes, we can. So many years ago, I was at a women's retreat, and a woman I knew pretty well gave her testimony. And I was very surprised to find out that she was living the Christian life without Christ. So she was serving, she was going to church, she was doing the things that a Christian would do, but she had not been raised with Christ. She said the difference to be raised with Christ was enormous. What she was doing in her flesh day by day by day before was drudgery. Thank you. And what she now was doing, being raised with Christ, she had a willing heart and serving him was a delight. It was an enormous difference. So before we move on, I just want to stop and ask you, have you been raised with Christ? Maybe you're like my friend. You do all the right things. Maybe you're a moral person. But have you been raised with Christ? Has he truly invaded your heart? If not, please talk to one of the leaders today. We would love to talk to you. 
Our second section is seeking the Lord. So our verses, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand. Let's talk about for a minute what Paul means when he says seeking. To seek means to strive after, to endeavor. The tense here is to keep on seeking. The things above that he's talking about, well, are of course, heavenly things. And how do we know that? Because he says it, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. What are the things that Paul is saying that we should seek after? Well, I think he's referring back to Colossians 1, 9 and 10. He says, seek this, the knowledge of his will in all spiritual understanding, wisdom and understanding. Seek this, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Seek this, to fully please the Lord. Seek this, to bear fruit in every good work. Seek this, to increase in the knowledge of God. Seek this, to be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Seek this, tough one, patience with joy. Seek this, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He's saying, seek him and seek the things that he wants for us. This is a contrary message for the Colossians. Because remember, at that time, they were surrounded by thinking that they were, there were other things besides Christ that they should be looking after, right? They should, there's some secret knowledge or some mystery that they're supposed to uncover. Well, here Paul is saying, seek Christ. He is the only source. He's the substance, and he is all that they need. In Proverbs 2, we also learn about seeking. Let's read it. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for wisdom and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Did you hear those verbs? Receive my words. Treasure my commands. Make your ear attentive. Call out for insight. Raise your voice for understanding. That is seeking what is above. Interesting, Paul says, seek things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Remember, this is the highest place in the whole universe right here at the right hand, sorry, your left, my right, <laughs> at the right hand of God. And he is praying for us. Don't you think he's praying for us that we will seek him, that we will want to seek him? As we read on in Proverbs 2, we see the benefits of seeking God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Praise God. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright He's a shield for those who walk in integrity. He guards the path of justice and watches over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity and every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. It is pleasant to your soul, isn't it? This was certainly what the Colossians needed to hear, but this would apply to us today too, wouldn't it? The world tells us to seek after many things. Our looks, our figures, our fashion, our finances, our knowledge, our cooking skills, our health, our comfort, 
having perfectly educated children, having picture-perfect houses, or maybe even bringing the best soup for the Lord's Supper tonight. (laughs) So we could even be wanting to trend on Twitter or wanting to say something witty on Facebook. Knowing that we have the power of Christ dwelling in us, we have the ability to seek after God instead of these worldly things. And I want to ask you a question. If someone looked in your life this last week, what would they say that you sought after the most? Did something just pop into your mind? Write it down right now. What one area just popped into your mind? All right. Our next section is on setting our minds on the Lord. Let's read on in verse 2. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things of the earth. In the King James Version, it says set your affection. To set means to think of, to be mindful of, to determine, to resolve, to direct, or to put in the proper place. It's saying setting our hearts and our minds on Christ. Paul is telling them in the context of Colossians to set their minds on Christ, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. He's preeminent. He's the power that dwells within them. All things were created by him and for him, and all the substance belongs to him. He is the one who has gone to the cross for them giving them forgiveness for their sin, and making them right with God. Paul tells them in Colossians to not think about some things that we learned about last week. Do not be deluded with plausible arguments. Do not be taken captive by philosophy and empty deceit. Do not be allowed to be passing judgment on what you eat or drink or festivals or when you worship. Do not be judged by asceticism, the severe discipline, and avoiding all forms of indulgence. Do not submit to the world's regulations of do not handle, taste, or touch, or the human precepts, or the teachings of the world. Because this does not have the appearance, it has the appearance of wisdom, but it is not going to do anything for us coming down the road in Colossians when we actually have the rubber meeting the road in our behavior. All those other things are not going to help us. It's only the power of Christ dwelling in us that's going to help us with that. He's saying, seek the Lord and set your mind on him, not on your circumstances, because I'm going to ask you to behave in a manner that's pleasing to me. There are some hard things coming, but keep your heart and mind set on Christ. Remember, your power, strength, and ability come from Christ to do the things I'm going to ask. The world is going to say, Behave differently, so don't think about the world. Think about me. Setting your mind is purposeful, right? What are some helpful ways that you guys talked about in your class? Probably reading the Bible, memorizing scripture, being here today, right? Having accountability with godly friends that will point you to Christ. Going to church consistently. Having a church that you call your home. Hearing the word of God, reading the word of God. Setting our minds in this troubled world is hard, isn't it, to set them on God? Just this morning, I looked at my phone, and I saw similar things that each of you would see. 
But it occurs to me this is exactly what we have to fight against in setting our minds. In the enormity of life, how do we continue to seek God and set our minds in him? It feels like a tornado, right? When you open that phone and there's all these problems and all these things that pop up at you. How do I look for God? And how do I set my mind on him during the whirlwind? One idea that a mentor of mine told me many years ago is if she just got out of bed in the morning and she didn't look to the left and she didn't look to the right, she just made it to the chair where she had quiet time with the Lord, then she could just sit there and focus on him. But if she just did one thing, like, oh, I'm just going to check my email. Oh, I'm just going to look at my phone. That was it. That blew it for her. And I thought, that's a great practice. And I've been doing that for many years. Just don't look at it. Just move straight to that chair. (laughs) So when is it the hardest for you to set your mind on him? When is it the easiest? I know for myself, when I am sick or worried or entertaining, I know I'm headed for a struggle. What do you do when you're approaching a point of struggle? I have found, for me, if I keep a scripture in front of me, it helps me to defeat that. For instance, and this is just an example, I get nervous when I'm entertaining. So everyone's cleaning, and I'm barking orders to everyone, and sometimes I'm even biting, right? (laughs) And so a scripture that's been helpful to me is in Isaiah 55, 1 and 2. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk, and without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? So I start thinking, what is the bread in this entertaining? Is the bread having my house perfectly cleaned? No. Is the bread having a perfect gourmet meal? No. What is the bread? It's having the fellowship with the people that are coming, right? And so it's now to the point even in our home when my husband will just look over and go, is that bread? (laughs) You know? (laughs) So um, what if we think about when we're most vulnerable? vulnerable, um, To set our minds on things of the earth and not above. When is that for you? What can you take to the Lord for forgiveness and ask for a transformation? An excellent scripture we talked about this week in our lesson was 2 Corinthians, which talks about taking our thoughts and making them obedient to Christ. Another, if you worry about things, is Philippians 4, 6, and 7, right? Be anxious for nothing, but in all things, with thanksgiving, you know, make your requests known to God, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. So think about that. What can you take to the Lord? What scripture can you use? to help you defeat that. Our fourth section is that Christ becomes our life. Let's read on in verses 3 and 4. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also be with him in glory. We asked you to look up several verses to get a handle on what it means that you have died. When we become a believer in Jesus, he takes our sin on the cross And we no longer have to pay that penalty that we should have paid. We now die to the way that we lived in the past. We die to our old fleshly life of doing whatever we want to do. We die to going the way of the world. We die to our old sin. So in that way, we have died. And next it says, your life is hidden with Christ in God. And you know, I don't know about you, but sometimes you run across a phrase in scripture and you think what in the world does that mean 
And so I have prayed and, and meditated on that for a long time. And I think really last week that um, with some help of Ryan Kelly, our pastor here, I got some clarity that really we have this new life in Christ when we become believers. And this won't make sense to the world or according to worldly definitions. Christ took our life that was being lived out for this world and he took it and he gave it to God and he hid it away from, with him for safety. We are his, hidden away with God from the wrath that will come. And is there any safer place to be than with the almighty God who is all-powerful? We asked you in your homework, does Paul mean that we have a secret knowledge that the world can't attain? In some ways, it feels that way to the world, I think. That we have this special relationship, right, with God that the world doesn't have. Now, we know that God wants the world to come to him. We know that. But we also know that we have this personal, intimate relationship with God that the world doesn't have. And so, it does look different to them. As Ryan says, there are innumerable blessings that we have when we become believers and that we can't, they can't be understood by the world and they can't be seen by the world either. So I was thinking about that. How is it not seen by the world and how is it seen by the world? Well, it might look different to the world if we have peace during a death or we have comfort during a crisis or if we have faith during a hurricane. I have a very dear friend that was involved in Hurricane Harvey. Um, and I texted her to check and see, how are you doing? And she texted back to me, God is good at all times, and he is working in the hearts of all of us. I can't believe the storm that's heading to Florida. That is a faith that cannot be understood by this world. So this is what the condition of her street and her home were when she texted me that. It looks like a war zone. Street after street of damage, stacked 10 feet high. I don't know. <laughs> um, you cannot even see the houses they, if they are one story. Friday, we are walking the streets to pray house to house. And then I saw on Facebook, the water level in her house went to the top of her cabinets. And she is saying, God is good at all times. Her faith must have looked so different to those around her. That part of our faith is hidden in the way that it's not understood to the world until they come to Christ. Not only was she saying God is good in her circumstance, she was concerned about the people in Florida that were going to get hit with the next hurricane. And next it says in our text, when Christ is our life. Christ becomes our whole life when we become believers. He becomes the lens that we look for, look through for everything. So when my friend was looking down that street of horror, she looked at that and said, God is good at all times. That is Christ being your life. He's the decision maker, the hope, the future, the comfort, the peace, the basis of our life when we become believers. So think back with me for a minute to that diagram in elementary school of our solar system. And you know, the sun is in the middle and there's planets orbiting around. Most of you here probably even had Pluto when, as a planet when you guys were learning that, right? Um, so before we're believers, we are the sun in the center of that solar system. And everything is revolving around us, our comforts, our needs, what we want. 
But once we become believers in Christ, well, Christ becomes the sun in the center of that solar system, and everything else revolves around him. So what I want to ask you is how has Christ become your life? Where do you see that transforming, radical work of Christ in your life? Have you died to the old way of life? Are there places where he is not the lens in your life? Are there places where you sometimes step in to be the center of the solar system again? What are those places? Are they in relationships? Are they when worries start to creep up in your mind? What situations are they in your life? Well, our next section is being with him in glory. Continuing in our text, when Christ who is your life appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Christ will return. And those who are believers in Christ will be with him in heaven. In 2 Thessalonians, it says that Christ will return. And when he does, it will be a dreadful day for those who do not believe in him. But for those who are believers, we will marvel at him. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And we will be with Christ in eternity. And his work of conquering sin and death will be finished permanently. The song, All Creatures of Our God and King, that last verse, says this so well. He shall return in power to reign. Heaven and earth will join to say, Oh, praise him. Hallelujah. Then who shall fall on bended knee? All creatures of our God and King. Oh, praise him. Oh, praise him. Hallelujah. Have you been raised with Christ? Have you died with him? Is Christ your life and do you look forward to his return? If so, you will be marveling at Christ's return. The transforming work of Christ is necessary before we can seek him or set our minds on him. All of the imperatives that are coming down the road in Colossians, they will be based on the fact that we know the living God and he dwells within us. And we can do those things because of him, not because of us. Is he your Christ? We're going to close this morning with a prayer from 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 and 12. Heavenly Father, I want to pray for all of us, Lord God, that our God, you, may make us worthy of your calling and may fulfill every resolve for good work and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.